This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, peace talks are underway between Ukraine and Russia again. We chat with former judge and co-founder of the Dijour Foundation, Mikhailo Zernikov, on what is going on in Ukraine and what's next with the Russian invasion. He shares his thoughts on diplomacy and giving up part of Ukraine, if that's even an option. Handy Andy takes us on a tour of his Airbnb, super high-tech and kind of fun, plus uses of WD-40. And we've got all of the things that Apple's getting up to, too, in regards to new products and changes in what they're doing with their products if you are an Apple user. And are you okay with draft beer? Yes. This is the Shift Podcast. Are you okay with draft beer? Ooh. I will be enjoying a draft beer on my day off tomorrow. (laughs) Nice. Absolutely. Wish I could have a dome foam anyone lives in Alberta, you know that they put something in the Saddle Dome hockey beer and that draft beer just, there's something special about the dome foam. Ugh, yeah, the psychedelic effects of it. It's yeah, weird. it's weird, man. I don't know. It's way better since the flood, since they had to replace it all, I guess. Oh, yeah, probably. <laughs> you know, <laughs> some sense. of those arenas, we're just talking about Calgary's arena, but I mean, some of those arenas, man, some of those lines, I don't know, they, they're sketchy at best. Well, we all love beer, right, BK? Yeah, I worked for craft beer for a couple of years here. Oh, a couple did, different craft breweries here in Vancouver. Oh. I used to really enjoy craft beer. Uh, the craft beer here, though, lots of flavor and lots of weird ingredients where you have two and it feels like you've had seven. Yeah. <laughs> Is that bad? I don't think that's bad. I'm not hearing bad here. Uh, my younger oh. self used to love it, but nowadays, oh, like, there's a reason I don't anymore because half a beer makes me, throws me off for a week. Oh, gosh. <laughs> BK quit drinking. That's really the point. Well, draft beer is all right. It can be sketchy, but if it's good, it's cold and it's, uh, it's nice and clean and there's no extra like soap bubbles, it's good. Hey, if you know Dewey Stevens in Calgary from back in the day, that beer machine used to take dirty glasses, wash them, flip them over, and fill them up with draft all in one procedure. Trust me, there was some soap left over. Anyway, for some people who love draft beer, beer tastes really nice. It's your favorite. Just ask Homer. Mmm, beer. Now, unfortunately, beer for this man did not taste very nice in Las Vegas last year. 38-year-old special education teacher Lone Enright ingested a sample of honey blonde ale that contained a, quote, dangerous chemical cleaning solution while watching a football game at Barley's Casino and Brewing Company. The sample of beer contains chemicals used in cleaning systems for bar taps, tanks, and lines. After drinking the sample, Dr. Enright experienced a sudden and intense burning in his mouth, on his tongue, and down in his esophagus into his stomach, the news release stated. He soon began convulsing, hyperventilating, and violently vomiting before Henderson Fire Department arrived to the scene. Lynn Enright, um, he suffered permanent nerve and tissue damage from the chemicals. Uh, there was damage to his mouth, his tongue, and his gastrointestinal system. According to his lawyers, medical treatment will not cure Enright's lifelong injuries. The bar and casino, which is operated by Town Center Amusements, a wholly owned subsidiary of Station Casinos, did not reply to requests for comment. Uh, yeah, they were too busy trying to figure out how they're going to pay for that. That report from Las Vegas Review Journal. Now, that's what I always worry about, right? I worry about that exact thing right there. Do you think that's going to happen to you? Like, do you worry about that? I do worry about that, man, because mm-hmm. there's 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 a lot of a lot of quick things happen in the bar, and then there's cleaning, and and sometimes people get distracted, and humans are always the biggest of the errors. I I do worry about those things, but I think it's that being concern. said, I have a kick tap here in my house, so. Having that and being able to kick back and have ice cold draft, I do cider, but ice cold draft cider on, um, on a, on a hot day is, uh, it's a wonderful thing. By the way, I used to take it camping all the time. It was always very dangerous because first thing, like I had TVs and satellite in my trailer because I was a glamper, not a camper, but I used to sit and the kids would go to bed because it was just me and the kids. So I'm just like just some dude camping with kids. So. You know, those slackers, they went to bed at like 11 o'clock. So I was watching a movie or something. Kind of stick your hand outside, get your draft, another glass of cider, 
first thing in the morning, wake up, make coffee, go outside. Sun shining is beautiful. It's nice, warm, misty morning, and you got coffee in one hand, and you look over at the keg tap, and you're like, yeah, you know what? Just me here. <laughs> Might as well. So it's a bit of slippery slope, just saying. Are you okay? Don't judge, okay? Don't judge me. Are you okay with a hammock? When you, it's when you take it and you have it in a hammock on a hot day, it's a beautiful thing. That sounds incredible. Are, Please count me in. Are you okay with school pictures? I vote yes because I saw a picture of Ryan when he was 10. Oh, God. Yeah, I had some terrible haircuts as a child. Terrible teeth, terrible glasses. Um, it made for awful, terrible, awful school pictures that are objectively pretty cute to look back on. My least favorite ones are for me in like grade eight and grade nine. I don't know what I was thinking. The rectangle glasses with like the bright Volcom shirt and spiky hair. Uh, yeah, my uh, school pictures were a disaster. Uh, although, funny enough, today is the anniversary of when I got my uh, high school graduation pictures done and me and my friend dressed up as spider-man and batman and there's a picture of me dressed up as batman behind him and the caption was i'll be your hero it was pretty good it was a pretty good picture wow hey we got it framed in each other's houses we still have it framed, yeah? like in their yeah in our places yeah wow that's amazing i'm guessing you were single in high school at that time Declined to comment. Okay. <laughs> uh, every school picture day is always the same, right? It's awkward outfits. It's clothes you didn't want to wear, but your parents made you, except in Ryan's case, terrible haircuts because you got one last minute, but you probably just went to the barbershop down the street and expected a full-on style. So that's why a school down in the States started to uh, decided to spice things up. So picture day was different. They held Picture Day on St. Patrick's Day. Just one problem, the kids wore green. Now, pictures today are not taken like they used to be with some well-painted um, backdrop of a tree or whatever. Pictures today are taken with green screens. And um, it's different. So green screens is what allows technology. It's like the weatherman uses, right? So they can put all the animation on the wall. It's not like it used to be with a Bob Ross tree painted in the background. So with a green screen and all of these kids wearing St. Patrick's Day green, that means they disappeared and they were a bunch of floating heads. Sounded like a fun idea at the time. Hold school picture day on St. Patrick's Day. And it was funny, just not the way anybody expected. These are photos of the kids at Sugar Grove <laughs> Elementary in Indiana. <laughs> the problem, the pictures were shot with a green screen background, like they use for special effects in movies, or like Dallas and Dan used for the weather. Oh, man. And because it was St. Patrick's Day, a lot of the kids were wearing green, so this is how the pictures turned out. Whatever was in the background ended up on the kids. It was kind of hard to explain to him what was happening because he's six, but as soon as he saw all the different options, he was just laughing because it looks like, you know, he's a fence or it looks like he's a field. <laughs> so he thought it was really funny. And it is very funny, by the way. That's from ABC7. So it's basically a bunch of floating heads in the photos. The principal sent a text message to parents saying, don't worry, the photography studio can fix this in post-production. However, some of the parents said they liked the green screen photos so much, they asked for copies of those, too. I like that. They're always so awkward, though, aren't they? Like, when yeah, you look back. Unavoidable. Yeah. I think that when your kids say they want to wear whatever they want to see. So, like, we get our like our vanity kicks in, right? We're like, you need to look good. It's your pictures. It's good to your Aunt Susie or whatever. Your Uncle Bob wants a photo. you got to look nice. And so we apply this thing about, hey, kid, you got to look good in these. I want to remember this for looking good. I think the parents get it all wrong. I think that parents need to say, oh, wear whatever you want. Go ahead. Because the only person who's going to pay the price for that down the road is be the kid looking back at the picture they took dressed as Batman and Spider-Man in high school. And no regrets. Uh, <laughs> Thank you.
This is the Shift Podcast. It's hard to believe it's been over a month. It's been over a month that Russia has been in Ukraine and we've been having these conversations. Uh, Mikhailo Zernikov joins us from Ukraine. Mikhailo, um, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Hi, Shane. Hi, I um, I'm I got I got to say this, Mikhailo. I look forward to the day that I don't have to talk to you. How about that? <laughs> right. Yes, that's that's a good it's a good way to put it. Um, yeah. yeah. Even though I'm, talking to you is, is always a pleasure, but you know, yeah, the cause is yeah. not really. Um, yeah. Yeah, the cause is uh, is the problem here. Of course, I thoroughly enjoy my conversations with you too. Uh, I will adapt that and say instead that I look forward to the day when we can talk about other things other than war. Uh, that's for sure. I, you know, Absolutely. it's it's a strange it's a strange situation, Mikhailo. We've met an awful lot of new people that we would never have met, and I wanted to start our conversation there. When you look at all these people from around the world, ex-military folks that have come and signed up to fight with Ukrainian military and defense forces Mm -hmm. and volunteers and people moving food. Uh, We met a young lady um, last night here on the shift, and I wanted to share her story with you because uh, it's absolutely remarkable. Her family's from um, Berdyansk, and she has her parents and younger brother are there. She's in Vancouver going to school, finished school, now just working. She's 21 years old, and she's been fundraising here in Canada for bulletproof vests. And um, so far, the group and or people around her, they've had 53 vests they've been able to fundraise for. They're about $1,000 a vest. And they have been mm-hmm. able to get those and get those shipped off. And yet, all of these people, it, you can't deny... Uh, the humanity that comes together here and um, the fact that the world really is coming together in light of all of this. Easy for me to say because my country's not under attack, but is it stories like that that, you know, keep the hope alive for the Ukrainians? Absolutely. It is remarkable how people, uh, you know, both in Ukraine and outside Ukraine are helping and, um, uh, you know, uh, helping us survive, basically, and helping us, uh, uh, you know, live uh, uh, and, and and still have hope to um, you know to win and to come out of this um, in in uh, I don't know if, if in one piece is the right um, um, words for that because we're you know it's, it's still very hard right now there's a lot of things that are that have changed that are, that are changing it feels like time has slowed down you know there's this um, you know the Russian forces are not uh, trying to uh, advance that much anymore. So they are, they're also, um, and, and now it's, you know, it's becoming more and more war of attrition. And uh, r- because of that, it is extremely important now to, to you know, to support Ukraine with more weapons. Uh, and while, you know, while people who, uh, you know, just, just simple people who are outside of Ukraine, who are in Ukraine, you know, they're doing everything possible to, um, you know, for Ukraine to win and, and, to, and to survive, uh, the still governments, you know, NATO countries um, around the world, the U.S. especially, is, unfortunately, is not doing enough to, um, uh, you know, to, to provide weaponry for Ukraine to actually win this war. It, it, it's, it's become ridiculous. Like, uh, you know, uh, on one hand, the first several days, everybody was like, oh, what if Ukraine loses this war? And now it seems like everybody's like, oh, what if Ukraine wins this war? Because quite honestly, there's people who are scared and for, for some reason, who are convinced that you know Russia cannot lose for some because they're well because they're something I don't know what's what's the logic behind it what's their underlying assumption, and on on the other hand, uh, you know because for some reason you know providing javelins and laws and and stingers uh, to Ukraine is is not a big deal but if if uh, you know if the U.S. or NATO provides tanks or airplanes to to definitely win this war. Somehow it will cause World War Three. It's it's a very strange logic, quite honestly. Well, it is a strange logic, and I, I I think I get it, but I also don't understand it. Right? Like I get it. You, if there's troops on the ground, and um, you know, a, a, an American or Canadian shoots a Russian, that does dy- uh, dynamically change the war. But at the same time. If it's okay to sell you or give to you uh, missiles and guns and all those things, how can it be a big deal if there's planes and tanks that are involved in that? I I would agree with you, and it seems really strange. Yeah, to sure. Me. No, no, we're, we're, 
right, Shane, we're not talking about troops on the ground. We're, I think we're, we've been past that discussion on day three or something that, you know, NATO made it clear, we're not fighting for you, you're not a member, which is fine, we understand, we, we, and we're not calling for that. We're just saying we, we are more than willing to fight. There, there's people are still queues to, to get into the territorial defense or to get into the, uh, you know, uh, um, uh, armed forces of Ukraine by people we don't have the means to fight the war of attrition with russia which has the number two army in the world in terms of manpower and and other things so for that because because we're fighting i i you know i never get tired of saying this and it's a thousandth time problem i said said this online you know on your show but still you know we're we're not only fighting for our uh, cause we're fighting democracy in the world we're fighting for you know human rights we're fighting for um right for for the nations to live and so many things for the whole europe for nato countries uh, you know actually because you know putin and, and the russians openly say you know 86 percent of russians are in favor of invading nato countries next what what the other what should be the other signs for the you know, for NATO, for NATO to to be, you know, more decisive to to end this war here and now, other than um, waiting for, you know, what should happen next, and then, you know, uh, what what is, is the Poland next? Is Lithuania next? What's what's the what's the what's the next thing that NATO will, you know, will make them um, do the right thing? I I, I wonder. For, in, in no in no way, of course, we we want that to happen. We just want to end it here and now. And, and, you know, and NATO has, like the President Zelensky said, give us 1% of your airplanes or 1% of your tanks and it will shift and will, you know, it will change the, uh, the war dramatically. I hear the passion in your voice, Mikhailo. That's the thing, right? Like you can, you can hear it. And, and I don't think anybody logically can argue what you're saying. I think that what you're saying makes sense and it must be frustrating to sit there. But at the same time, you're seeing your own troops and the amazing things that they're doing, peace talks, settlements and all those things are reportedly going on, Mikhailo. That must be mm-hmm. extremely frustrating and yet hopeful at the same time. I mean, we don't share where you are in Ukraine for your privacy around all this. Uh, you're about your whole world as a former judge and, and judicial reform and making sure that Ukraine, um, the future of Ukraine is built for the generations to come to get rid of corruption and all the old world USSR things. Um, peace talks yeah. must be uh, hopeful, but still somewhat disappointing, I'm guessing, because if they're talking about carving off a chunk of Ukraine to get there, that, that must be frustrating. Absolutely. I, and I don't think, you know, neither of, you know, neither side um, can afford right now to, um, to, to come out of this with so what I'm trying to say Russia will never agree to leave Ukraine and to just withdraw troops for them right now it will look as a disaster internally and externally and they, they can they cannot just afford it for you know for Putin for the regime in Russia right now it has become sort of um, a matter of survival because you know they cannot they have to win something, and by something that at, means at least they have to get more chunks of Ukrainian territory or, or whatnot. Ukrainians, 93% of Ukrainians believe they will win this war. Um, 89% are against any uh, ceasefire before Russia withdraws the troops. I mean, even, even, God forbid, right now, you know, the president or whoever is involved in the peace talks agrees on something with Russians. The people will never accept it, you know. And now, uh, I mean, probably every, whatever is the number, there's a lot of people, there's millions of people right now in Ukraine who have arms. And, uh, you know, God forbid somebody agrees on something that the people do not support, uh, you know, that 90% of the people do not support. They will never accept it. And we might come out of this situation even worse. I don't believe this. I don't believe that, you know, the president or uh, whoever is in the peace talks will, will surrender uh, the, the, the things that are absolutely, you know, crucial for us and, and uh, you know, people, territory, whatnot. Um, there's, there's, there's talks going about the whatever neutral status, but that's also, I don't think that's feasible because 
by neutral status of Ukraine, by non-accession to any blocs like NATO, uh, Russia basically is, is screaming, oh, we want you to be weak. We want you to not even have the, uh, you know, the help that you're getting from, um, you know, from NATO countries and from the others right now. So basically they, they, they're just saying, oh, we want you to, to, to be uh, helpless and we want we want you we want to conquer you maybe not now but in five or ten years or so so it's the, I don't I don't think anything will come out of these peace talks before we have a definite uh, progress before we have a definite win uh, on the battlefield and for that it's absolutely necessary to provide Ukraine with more weaponry you know um, magnitudes more weaponry than, than we have right now because you know after weeks of talks we you know the U.S. agrees on providing Ukraine something with like, I don't know, stingers for like two or three more days. That's not, that's not what is needed. I imagine it this way, and I would try to translate all of the reporting that's going on about some of these peace talks and what it's all about, Mikhailo, and, and I think the easy way to, to describe some of the proposals that are being talked about would be imagine old Germany when you had East Germany and West Germany, and there was a wall in between. Mm-hmm. And uh, just imagine that, except it's Ukraine. So here's the thing, though. Where does it end, right? I mean, you had Crimea in 2014. You know, that's about seven or eight years ago. Now you have this. So what? You build a wall in between with the expectation that Ukraine is going to promise to not rearm itself, and then it's going to be the same. And then when does this start all over again? They go, you know what? We're just going to move the wall now because we want to do this. So it seems to be... That there is no, there is no possible peaceful end until Ukraine can just literally, you know, squash this and put up a really big fence to the neighbors to the east. Absolutely, you're absolutely right, Shane. And thank you for um, understanding this and articulating this in a in a in a good way. Another good way to to look at it would be, you know, this country saying, "Oh, what if you, you know, just just forget about Crimea and give away." What's what's the name the part of your territory, uh, you know, the representatives who say like this or, or whoever says like this of your country that you would easily give away, understanding that, you know, the, the, the people who live there will never have basic human rights, even because that's what 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 the regime in Russia what's and what's the you know, with with, with the whole security system in the world that's, that's been established after the World War II when one country, just because it can, can march into any other country, you know, take a chunk of it and go, what now? We're, we're, we're the permanent member of the security, UN Security Council. We, are, we have tre- more strength militarily. That is why we can do whatever we Whatever we can, something is really wrong with the, you know, with the whole security order in in the whole world, and and of course with that logic, when uh, you know we are fighting fiercely to to protect our country, to to defend it, we already destroyed half like half the helicopter fleet that Russia has in an entire world, or more than one third of of their airplanes, or almost half of their airplanes. I mean, we are already winning, but for for to do that, we, we of course we need more resources. Yeah, what cost, right? What do you say to Canadians when, okay, so Russia also has disputed islands with Japan, and Russia Russia also has disputed islands over the North Pole with Canada. Or a territory. So you yep. as Ukrainian, um, you're, you, not only the, um, what you've seen inside government and the politics around this, you know, from your daily job, but what do you say to yep. Canadians that, you know, we need to learn from this or, or what's the takeaway? When you look at what Ukraine is going through and what Russia is doing, when you speak of, I think what I hear is when you say about one country just rolling into another country and saying, this is mine now. Um, what do you say to Canadians about the disputed land over the North Pole and Canada's connection? Because uh, we do share a border with Russia. Go get it. Um, well, I understand, you know, the implications um, that, uh, you know, we don't want to start the Third World War. And that that is something that Putin is try, kind of trying now to play with that he's not only, you know, um, uh, fighting with Ukraine, but actually engaged the whole world because they're quite honestly, their external policy has always been, you know, everybody's around and around them as an enemy. And that is why they're so, of course, on one hand, that that explains uh, why they, their population is suffering for, uh, because of corruption. And they, of course, they, they frame it as if, 
you know, because they have to fight off everybody and 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 ev- everything, uh, you know, the, 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 they have to suffer. But uh, what I'm trying to say is uh, they have a lot of, and that's also their their policy to have a lot of disputed territories, you know, with Japan, with Canada, with Ukraine, with Moldova, with Georgia, whom they attacked in, just in the recent, you know, couple of decades. Uh, but also with you know Finland earlier on when when it was still the Soviet Union, which wasn't very different from you know still Russia but under a different name, uh, and and the other you know country or 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 you know parts of the Soviet Union quote unquote were there against their will actually. Um, so um, the, the processes that are going on right now, they're already a World War Three. You know it's still. There's still governments who do not want to recognize this and who want to kind of sit out and go, oh, let's see what happens. Well, the, the mur- murder of thousands of people daily, that's what happens inside Ukraine. And, um, you know, uh, you, you might be or not be sympathetic or, or you might care or not really care about those people. You know, what if, you know, there's been a month, it's, 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 it's actually going off, you know, the, the first, uh, uh, you know, pages of, of, of the new, newspapers and, and the cover stories. Now, let, let's talk about something else, you know. But uh, you have to recognize that if you don't stop Russia now, and Russia will not stop until it's stopped, then it will get worse because Russia will understand that it can do more and more things. And, you know, where do you draw the line, actually? That is, you know, that is why it is... It just blows my mind when, you know, the, the, the world is not doing enough to stop Russia in Ukraine because they think somehow it will resolve itself. Well, guess what? It won't. Is the harshest reminder of all of that, the story that's come out about Ro, uh, Roman Abramovich, the Russian oligarch um, who owns the Chelsea Football Club, after attending some peace talks on U- Ukraine-Belarus border, him and a couple other Ukrainians are believed to have been poisoned while they were there. Is that just a nothing but a harsh reminder that they will kill their own to prove a point? Well, um, well, first of all, yeah. Another thing I wanted to say to Canadians is thank you. Is, is a big thank you. Really, we, we see your um, um, help, and we we are very grateful for for the help that you provide, and you know for for the, the sympathy and and all and all that. I mean, on the one hand, we. We do understand and we do recognize that, you know, NATO and, and the other countries have to do more. On the other hand, we really, on the human level, we really see how, how the world is united and how especially Canada is doing, is doing a lot. So so big thank you here. Uh, when it comes to, um, yeah, that, that's a weird story. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think I have enough information to actually talk yeah. about this. Um, that's okay. Yeah, so I, I appreciate that. It, but, I'll just summarize the story for everybody else so they can hear what yeah. it is, is that the reporting is basically yeah. that a Russian billionaire, Roman Abramovich, um, attended some peace talks a few weeks ago on the Ukraine-Belarus border, trying to have some peace in all of this. Now, he's a Russian oligarch. He's been sanctioned. He's had to lock up his stuff and try to sell his football club and sell all his houses and everything else. He's been affected. And for taking part in peace negotiations, it uh, is being reported that a couple of the people that were there, that um, um, some Russian hardliners might have slipped in and tried to poison people that were there, which I find um, astounding if that's the case, where in order to prove a point of don't get involved, that kind of stuff goes on in the background. That's just the story. Um, uh, Mikhailo Zernikov is is here with us on the shift. How are you doing, bud? Um, it's been a week. We've texted, of course, but it's been a week or so since yeah. we've been able to talk here on the radio. You don't share where you are because of your job. and um, But when you yeah. look out your window or when you look in the mirror, um, it, it's been over a month, my friend. How are you hanging in there? Uh, thanks, Shane. Um, well, all right. I, I can say... Uh, yeah, it is frustrating because, um, you know, the time has changed a little bit. And, you know, there, 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 were, there were things happening, so many things happening uh, in, in one day. And now you understand that, uh, well, first of all, yeah, the things have changed. First of all, if you look out of the window, uh, there's, there's barely even a spot in Ukraine that is relatively, it's, there's, there's safer zones, of course. You know, there's Mariupol that is completely destroyed. There's, there's you know... Uh, there's thousands of people dead. There's tens of thousands uh, of, of people who fled, or hundreds of thousands by now. And, and now there's zero buildings that have not been hit by a missile or a bomb. So we, we, 
there's one city, the Sahava Milan city, that's been destroyed by the Russians. So just to understand the magnitude of what is happening. And, the, and, and a bunch of other cities that have up to a million or even more than a million uh, inhabitants, they, they are now in, under constant shelling or constant bombing. So that's, that's, that's the scale of, of, of what's going on right now. There's, there's one, around one and a half missiles, cruise missiles, um, that were shot at Ukraine uh, at this point by Russia. So they're, they're basically destroying, they're wiping out the, the, the entire country. That's what's happening. Uh, there are safer zones that, that have been bombarded less or, or you know, missiles less. But now if, if you, you know, if you, before that, if it could be in, uh, in a zone in, in Western Ukraine where, you know, they haven't missiled anything yet, now there's, we're, we're past that because they're, they're, they're hitting, um, um, you know, oil bases and, and, you know, critical infrastructure in, in Western Ukraine. And, you know, it's getting closer and closer to, to where you are and you understand that you're, you know, nobody is really safe uh, if, if you're in the territory of Ukraine. That's one thing. Another thing is uh, simultaneously you, there is, um, uh, the, the time is kind of slowed down and you understand that, you know, if you look at the dynamic before, you know, the first month, you understand it will take off to, to somewhere quite soon. It's probably we're looking into months, well, God forbid, not years, but who knows? We're, it will not end very soon because, again, because of the reluctance of the West to, what, irritate Putin? Or I don't know what is the, because Putin draws the, you know, the red lines and, and everybody follows. I don't know what, how, how to frame it, but because... Also, because the Russian military understood that they cannot take Kharkiv or they cannot take Kiev, and they're trying to regroup forces, and really it's become a war of attrition, and it is a very, it is a very non-easy phase to go through because you understand that you have to accumulate a lot of your inner resources to respond to that and to kind of live through these um, hard periods and to accumulate resources also to respond because it is a, it is a. Uh, you know, it is people's war, and you know, not, not only those who are on the front lines are engaged in this. It's the whole country that, you know, moves helmets and, and, and bulletproof vests or tries to, you know, advocate internationally or to, you know, feed the f- people on the front line, whatever that is. It's, it's the, basically the whole country is uh, fighting for the cause, and uh, we need resources for that, and it's not easy to uh, really to recognize that uh, things like this will go for you know, months more probably, if not years. Well, let's hope you're wrong there. Um, Mikhailo Zernikov is yep. um, is in Ukraine, and uh, he joins us here to chat about what is going on. Stay safe, my friend. And um, thank you very thank much you for taking the thank time you, and have, having the update. I appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. This is The Shift Podcast. We get to go on a tour of Andy's place. Let's get started. Somehow I imagine Andy dancing to that in his house. Dan, what are you talking about? Shane, I jump rope to that song now. It is a great song to jump rope to. I haven't made I a video about it, about it to yet. Life. Yeah. But yeah, I'm, so I'm, I'm jumping rope to Disco Dancer now, so it, it's on. It's on. It is. HandyAndyMedia.com. Andy Barrar is here, and you're taking us on a tour of your place. You've talked about it many times, your high-tech Airbnb joint and um, all the technology that's in there, massive projector that fills the whole wall, LED lights, little typey codes. Uh, so what do you got? Yeah, so um, so today I had a really interesting day because your colleagues over at Global BC came over to my house to do some segments on smart home tips and tricks. And they just wanted to do one segment, Shane. And I'm like, uh, I don't know if I can just do one because I have so much stuff to show. And what happened was, I, as you know, I have this Airbnb suite with all this tech. It's like a, a little tech lab. But it's booked right now, so I couldn't allow them to go in. So a day before when I was cleaning it, I made this video and I wanted to show people all the crazy technology that I put in this high-tech suite. 
the interesting thing about it is despite having all this tech and everyone knows when you have a lot of tech, there's a lot of things that could go possibly wrong. And I'm amazed, Shane, that even though I built all this and it has smart lights and everything works with voice activated, it really all works. Like I don't have to give instructions to people. Like it's very intuitive. I have a sign on the wall that says, say this, turn the lights on, say this, turn the lights off. Here's a projector. I don't even tell them how to use the projector. It has a Roku controller. So a lot of people know what a Roku controller is and how it works. And they're able to turn it on, get everything to work. And I don't get any complaints for that. So I wanted to show you get a little behind the scene look at the, the Shift Facebook uh, group, which by the way, Shane, 998 yeah. members tonight. We're hitting a thousand. We're hitting a thousand for the first time. Remember when we had thirteen? We skyrocketed from like four to thirteen. Yes, that was fun. Yes, because that was your. I knew you'd be excited every every week. Actually, every week I would Mm -hmm. hype people up and tell them. And and so, if you want to see this video of this, this basically, it's like if you let this crazy DIY guy design and build a suite, this is what you're gonna get. And uh, I I hope people like it because. when I built it, Shane, everyone said it wasn't going to work. They said, no one's going to come here. You know, you live in the suburbs. This is a bad idea, Andy. You, you, you're going crazy. And you know what? I did it anyway, Shane, and it worked. And it's it's booked all the time. And it, it's just, I'm just glad all the tech worked because That's cool. theoretically, you think it should work. And then when you put it, you never know until you actually get it all together. But um, yeah, everything works and it hasn't broken. So I, I highly advise people to check it out at shiftheads.ca and please become a member so we can hit a thousand tonight listen to you uh we did actually just now how about that you did it there he goes ah, andy barrar is the hype man yeah you know the other week i was gonna say we should have like a celebration or something when we hit a thousand but uh i didn't know it was gonna be today but <laughs> maybe next week we'll have a celebration but people please keep subscribing to that group because we post a lot of cool content and it's a really good community it's probably one of my favorite groups now and i like to see ryan's lego as well that progress has been very fun uh over the oh, past now look weeks. what you did now you're gonna get him starting to talk about his lights on his spaceship you might as well do it ryan i i, ryan, put I just want to say spaceship. i'm proud of you i'm proud of you <laughs> thank Someone you who played with lego as a kid <laughs> You know, I, I, I live vicariously through your, your build. Thank you. I, I build for those who cannot. How about that? I, it, it has been an, a labor of love, this thing. And uh, yeah, I got my LED kit. And I could have put lights all over it, but I just decided to do the engines because I thought if I'm going to have a giant spaceship, I might as well have the engines light up. And it's beautiful. I'm still waiting on the stand to arrive, but the centerpiece of my entire home is almost complete. And it is one badass piece of Lego. I won't. I won't. Hey, have you been that. logging your hours and in, in start to finish? Because I'm curious uh, how long it takes. Not fully. My guess is total time. If I involve the LED lights, is at least 25 hours over over and, several days and a couple weeks. And how much do you, how many hours do you think you have left? Well, no, nothing. Nothing now. No, it's like, not, what if you, I, to, I'm just look, waiting for the what do you plan? To like now. what I mean is, what do you plan to do with it? Are you gonna like? Put it on a shelf or something like that because you have. I've to, got you know. a yeah. I've got a special stand coming. Comes. It's gonna yeah. It's gonna angle. It's gonna look like it's flying. But eventually, I'm going to get a table made for it. I'm gonna get a glass table so that I can put it inside, and then my coffee table will literally be a giant Lego spaceship. Oh, I wish we lived yeah, close to each other. Seen. I I would build yeah. you this table, man. Can you hear this what's is... happening here? Oh, that'd be sweet. Oh, having like, a romance here, Shane. <laughs> oh my god you hear it happening like you can hear the heart bubbles going above your heads right now um i look you want to make this both of you you think you're so smart you guys make smoke come out of those lit up engines then we'll be impressed challenge take it or leave it so well i don't know if i can do that space. shane but um you know, smoke. <laughs> if you ever if you ever need a if you ever need to improve your wi-fi you know i'm, I'm your guy or, or if right. your toilet breaks, or, or so you need the toilet fix, but I, I'll show you how to do that. I don't want to do it for you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Andy, AndyMedia.com, by the way, where the videos and the DIY stuff can be found. Uh, I don't know if I, I dare ask why you're experimenting with things you've never tried with WD-40 before, or if this could be the last segment to ever do on the radio, but I'll ask the question. What are we talking about? 
So I think everybody knows WD-40. It's probably like the best thing that you could ever have in your shed or with your tools. Uh, what a lot of people don't know is why they call it WD-40 in the first place. And yeah. it's called WD-40 because it's mean water displacement 40th version. <laughs> so that's the most scientific name of, that you uh -huh. could ever get. But that's exactly what it happened. And what it does is it displaces water. And so a lot of people don't really know what you could use WD-40 for. So I thought I'd share some tips and tricks. Number one, if the kids put crayons on the wall, spray a little WD-40 on that and that crayon will come off. If you have a bird feeder and squirrels keep climbing it all the time and taking all the food, you just squirt a little WD-40 on that. It makes it super slippery and then they can't crawl up it. That's a, another <laughs> great tip. I don't think people That's knew funny. it. Uh, during the winter time, when it gets super cold, spray a little WD-40 in your keyhole for your car before you put the key in, and that's going to help you uh, open it up. So if your if your lock actually freezes, that's a quick way. I do that with my master lock on my shed. It always freezes during the winter, and I almost break my key. So I make sure I have a WD-40 in my house because it was in my shed, so I wouldn't be able to get it anyways. Yeah, that's not good. Yeah, so now I keep another pair in my house so I can spray it to, to get into that. Even if you have screen doors, Shane, and you see that flies or bugs are always walking on your screen doors, you spray WD-40 on that and they, they can't stick onto that. I, I could go on, man. There's so many more. You got leather shoes and you want to clean them up, squirt a little WD-40 that and polish it. It makes a great polish. Um, if you have That's bird poop, if you have bird poop on your windshield, Spray a little WD-40, about 30 seconds later, you can wipe that off. Like this is like probably the best tool that you could ever have in your possession. Wow. Uh, if, you have, if you have jewelry that gets all tangled up and you're trying to unknot it, again, squirt oh, some WD-40 and it will it'll take up. The residue from duct tape. Now this one I had struggled with a long time. Never buy duct tape from the dollar store. It's the worst, okay? It's th it doesn't stick. And then when you try to take it off, all the residue is left. But if that happens, squirt a little WD-40 on that and that residue will come off. So uh, by the way, you can get WD-40 at the dollar store. For some reason, Shane, I don't know why. I don't even need it. I still buy it. And like in my brain, it's like, you, you need to buy this, even though I have like three cans already. That's so good. Um, <laughs> all I ever used to do is when I was a kid, we, that's how we discovered what the lighter did with the can of WD-40. Oh, yeah. Th that's danger. But um, for the amount of times that we did it in <laughs> basements, like with the, just the floor joists and stuff, oh, my God. Oh, boy, when you're a kid, you're stupid. That's all I know. But, but it was um, funny because I was I was thinking about this the other day. Uh, my gate was squeaking and it was just like opening and closing and it making that squeak. It was driving me nuts. And that's when I went looking in my closet for my WD-40. And then I was like, you know what? We need to talk about all the different things you can do with it because it, it is such a you know versatile tool that a lot of people don't realize. They have it, but they don't realize that it could have got them out of a bind on so many different uh, areas. So definitely something that you you want to pull out and 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 use man water displacement 40th version the best That's name ever well it's funny because when you become a parent you actually want the opposite you don't want wd-40 you leave things to squeak on purpose so you can tell where the kids are so for example my door to my bedroom i is very squeaky and I leave it like that on purpose because then the kids can't come in the room at the, in the middle of the night and wake me up and scare the crap out of me. Uh, many parents have woken up where you're sitting there and all you hear is, Dad. And then you wake up and there's a face right in your face. It causes for panic. So the secret as a parent is to you leave everything squeaky. Everything you can, you let it squeak in the house until the kids move out. And then you can make everything quiet again. Otherwise, they will scare you and it's terrifying. Just saying. It's the other opposite of what it is. Handy Andy Barrar joins us right now, handyandymedia.com. And if you go to his website, subscribe to his YouTube page for videos and all the things that he gets um, uh, done around his house. He posts on there, which is quite helpful if you're looking for things to do around yours. As getting outside is a little bit more tempting these days as spring is slowly creeping closer. I'm Shane Hewitt. Thanks for listening to The Shift. There was some new news about Apple. Let's talk gadgets, Andy. 
um, Apple is actually reducing iPads and um, iPhone production because demand is way down. It turns out the world seems to have gotten tired of buying the same phone over and over again. The biggest kicker to me, did you see the green iPhone that came out? Like no, this is when you run out of ideas. Yeah, so they came out with a green iPhone, which they marketed as Apple's new green iPhone. When you go look at it, it's an iPhone that's green. And so um, you, you're officially out of ideas when that's all you got. And some of the phones year over year have been um, not a lot different, and some of them have been a big price increase for not a lot different. So they've, uh, there's some talk about them reducing the, the number of, um, uh, production this year, which is probably an effort to keep the price up, keep demand up. That's for sure. But that's not all Apple's working on, is it? No. And here's the thing about Apple. Like we know that Apple does a lot of stuff. They make MacBooks. They have, of course, the iPhone. They have Apple Music. They have Apple TV. You know, I can go on iCloud, but all their bread and butter, Shane. 54% of their profits come from the iPhone. So Apple is really an iPhone company. And so they need to keep selling iPhones to make money. And so what they're realizing is the price of an iPhone is getting higher and higher. And they've tried to do installments and all these other types of, of ways that you could purchase an iPhone without having to pay outright. But now the newest thing, and they might do this, we don't know, this is what they're talking about, is doing a subscription service for the iPhone. So just like you have a subscription service for Netflix, now you have one for the iPhone. And when the new iPhone comes out, you can get the new iPhone, but you have to pay for this monthly subscription. And they're going to have them in different tiers, depending on what device you want. Now, the question is, what is the price? You know, what price are we talking about? Because we know that it's... First of all, nobody has any money anymore with inflation. So people aren't going to be upgrading their phones if they don't have to. And if you only make your money on people buying new phones, they're trying to find how do we have a re reoccurring sales model where we can just keep making money every month. And we saw software companies do this like Adobe, Microsoft, where they have software as a service. Now you're going to have your cell phone as a service a subscription service that you pay monthly. I want to know what you think about this, Shane, because I know you're an iPhone user. Could you ever see yourself going to a subscription and paying monthly to get the latest phone when the newest hardware comes out? The number you have to look at is the net difference. So my phone was like $1,800 or some stupid number. I did get Apple Care on that. So if you were renting a phone, if you will, then you're going to have that included. Um, and so I would, if buying a phone is say $1,500 and selling that same phone, it's hard to get more than five or 600 bucks for a used phone is going to be a thousand dollars and that lasts for two years, 24 months at $50 a month to rent the phone. And you're at a thousand dollars, then it's no, it's not worth it because at least in the other one, you know, you have a phone left over. Right. So if the net difference works in your favor and your cost per month is, is that and you're on a term where they can't just jack it up, then yeah, you go for the lowest net impact. It's not, it's a lot different than a car, right? Renting a car through a lease is fine. It's limited by mileage. It's not like you're going to have your phone be like, Oh, you ran out of minutes now. Like that's a little different, right? So I, I would say that, yeah, it's probably worth looking at with a technology that's turning over and over and over. What's the lowest net cost per month as a business person? That's what I would look at because what you also get there is the ability to hand it back and say, here's your problem now. So yeah, they're going to, much like Elise, they're going to want to, they're going to want to be better off on the other end than you are. Yeah. And so I think they'll make it really tricky for it being hard to judge what you're actually paying. Because just like, you know, the telecommunication carriers do, they start bundling everything. And then you get really confused because if you have an iPhone, you're going to need iCloud. So you're probably already paying for that. You probably have uh, Apple Music subscription or Apple TV subscription. So once you start bundling everything, it's really hard to, to kind of understand what you're paying for. The question I want to know is another thing that companies like subscriptions is that it makes it hard for you to quit, to, to, to opt out of that subscription. So they kind of get you into their ecosystem and you're kind of stuck 
because you're so used to using that. So, you know, it remains to be seen, but I, I'm just tired of subscription services, paying for these subscription services. So I don't know. I think something's going to give. People might have to sacrifice their Netflix for a, a, a cell phone because they need an, a new phone and they can't afford it. Maybe that it goes that way, but that will be a fundamentally different way of looking at purchasing cell phones and our relationship with smartphones because we no longer own them. We're kind of just getting them with a the subscription yep. and upgrading them. later on. Here's where it backfires to me. As soon as you actually, like if you charge someone 1500 bucks for a phone and they use it for a year, they don't realize that they're paying $150 a month for their phone. As soon as you monetize the per month, then people are going to start budgeting it per month. And I think that that backfires for the company because more people are going to go, whoa, this is how much I'm actually paying per month. When you include depreciation on a car, all those things, the amount it actually costs you to drive is astronomical. You People don't, how much is your car payment? 500 bucks. Oh, okay, cool. But they don't say, by the way, it's a two-door, so that means you got an extra 100 bucks in your insurance, and it takes premium and whatever. People don't include those factors in their storytelling. But it is better for the business because sub guaranteed subscription-based yeah. product increases the value of the business because it's guaranteed income. It's, uh, it's an interesting conversation, and we're going to see more of it, by the way, including in cars. There's been talk about things like heated steering wheels going the same way where it's a pay-per-use service or subscription to handyandymedia.com. Andy Barrar here. It's The Shift. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to The Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca. 